This is the Jail Ministry Podcast. The J-A-I-L, or Jesus Acts and Inmates Lives Ministry, is Christ-centered and provides programs focused on the prevention and intervention for the incarcerated. Jail Ministry also provides support to offenders, criminal justice professionals, victims, and their families. Thank you for your continued financial assistance. For more information, visit jailmen.org. Now, here's today's lesson. Greetings. Welcome to the new year 2023. My name is Kevin McCarthy and I'm excited to share some incredible, incredible research that proves without a shadow of a doubt the authenticity and the truth of God's Word, the Bible. So I have a couple of questions for you. Do you really believe when you read the Bible that this is true and this did happen? Or do you think that maybe this is just the author's writing down what they believe. You sometimes wonder that what you're reading right now, 2023, is really what happened when Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Those are all great questions. I know I had some of those same questions, but the other question you may have is, can I really trust these people that wrote these words, and how were these words put together and put in the Bible? So today, gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be put on some Bible detection classes to be detectives and, and look and examine to see if the scripture is true and if it's authentic. That also goes along with what we believe is called solo scriptura. And that means in Latin that our salvation is through the Bible alone. And some people may say that they learned the Bible through listening right now, or they may hear the Bible or come to Jesus through a video or a TV show. Yes, those are all great um, examples of where the media that promotes the Word of God goes out and hits the hearts of the lost. The Bible says in 14, not 14.7, but it says in 14.7, it says, the Word of God is living, active, and sharper than two-edged sword, piercing to the marrow. It also says that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Jesus Christ. So let's dig into a couple things here. Um, as Bible detectives, we're going to look and read some scriptures that was written over 2,800 years ago. And that would be the book of Isaiah. So you may have heard about Isaiah, but Isaiah was approximately 700 years before Jesus Christ. Now he's going to write some things here, and I'm going to submit the book of Isaiah, some of his verses, as evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the great Messiah that came to seek and save and save us from our sins. So let me read Isaiah chapter 9 first of all. It's one of the longest books in the Bible, the book of Isaiah, and I really, really encourage you to read this book. A lot of people sometimes say, oh, you know, I like the New Testament because it's Jesus speaking and, and Paul speaking and Peter speaking, and I don't really understand some of those things. But I encourage you to go back, read the book of Isaiah, because it's prophecy. And prophets were people chosen by God to share God's word through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opened their eyes gave them new hearts, gave them new minds, and ears to hear. So we're going to listen right now to Isaiah 
chapter 9, one of our first bits of evidence, and we'll see in Isaiah, go to, go to your book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2. We're going to read about six or seven verses out of that, and then we're going to cross-check that with the New Testament book of John. So, Isaiah says, the, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then down to 9.6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace that he gives. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to upheld it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We're going to talk about a few of the key points, what this means, and then we're going to go back to who is Isaiah? Why was this written? And then we'll look ahead 700 years to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We'll see if these verses point to Jesus Christ. So he says, for those who walk in darkness will see a great light. Well, one of the first things that Jesus will say in John 8, 12, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Hmm. He also says, going to John chapter 3, verse 19, bear with me while I flip my Bible here, to John three nineteen. he's going to say, right off the bat, when he's, when he's meeting with Nicodemus, he's going to tell it like it is. I love this verse. He says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So we're seeing right there, we're seeing people walk in the darkness in Isaiah. There was no Messiah. People lived very evil, very evil lives, violence, sacrificing children, multiple marriages, divorces, murders, everything. There was no Messiah in the world, and the Holy Spirit was not really working too much in the lives of the people, so there was darkness. And we think about darkness today, we think about evil, we think about when most crimes are committed, usually in the dark. And people, myself included, before I was born again, I did not want to see the light. I did not want to hear the light. And I was uncomfortable if I went to a service that talked about our sin. See, Jesus is speaking to that. The people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. And that was me until God called me, until he opened my eyes. I would not come to the light. So let's go back again to Isaiah because so much to be told, so many wonderful things. He says, for a child will be born. And we just celebrated Christmas last week. So a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. 
the world the past 2,000 years seems with battles and wars and violence, but God is still in control. God can bring peace. God can bring peace through his son. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now, a counselor brings peace. A counselor is someone that you go to for help. Well, Jesus is the everlasting counselor who goes on forever. We turn to Jesus Christ and through his shed blood and through our faith, we're given that peace. So he is the everlasting counselor and he is the Prince of Peace because until we have salvation through Jesus Christ and faith in him, we live a life where we run. We're, there's a gap in our lives, a gap between us and God. Now myself, many others, we try to fulfill that gap, try to fill that gap on our own. Years ago, it would be alcohol, it would be sports, it would be sex. All those things are trying to bring you happiness. But you know right after the next day, you're really not happy. You're going to go out searching for something more. You're in search of that peace, that knowledge that is in all of our hearts that we are sinners, that we need a Savior. And we can't do it on our own. So he says this. He says, he'll bring peace and on the throne of David. Now, this is one of the pieces of evidence I want you to see right here. On the throne of David. For Jesus Christ is 12 generations away, actually 24 generations away from David. King David, who slew Goliath with a slingshot. We can trace in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, we can trace the genealogy. We can trace. And that's some homework for you. Go to the first couple chapters of Matthew and Luke and look up to see how Jesus is connected to David. So Isaiah is giving us this evidence that he'll be on the throne of David over his kingdom. There couldn't be anyone else. Couldn't be anyone else. So to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. For he is the, the judge. He will judge when he comes back. He will judge the good and the evil. Okay? His righteousness is what we are given. It's the best deal in the world. Think about it. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are given his righteousness. Okay? We get his perfection. And that's a mystery. And all of our unrighteousness, all of our sins and our dirty rags, they're transferred to his account, which he died on the cross for. So all of these things are tying together evidence from Isaiah chapter 9. And he says, from then on and evermore, forevermore. Well, that's hard for us to understand. Forevermore. I can kind of think back 30, 40 years ago in school, but I can't think forevermore, forever. So let's take a moment, see who Isaiah was, so we know that he is credible. Okay? Because he's our first witness. And if I look at this, Isaiah was, was preaching and writing from 739 to 681 B.C. And the book reveals God's judgment and salvation. Just like it says right here, 
he'll be the judge in his government. And at that time, the Jewish people were threatened by Assyria and Egypt, who were the mighty powers, terrible, terrible warriors. And the Assyrians would torture. You would not even want to be captured by them. You'd rather be dead than be captured and tortured by them. So at that time, the people of Israel were rebellious. They were not seeking Jesus, or not, I'm sorry, not seeking God. And they were not following his ways. So God's going to bring judgment, but Isaiah is here to give a message of hope. Okay? He proclaimed a message of repentance and turn to God for deliverance. He said that this deliverance will come in the future. If we put our trust and faith now, our sins are covered by a future Messiah. So that's what he came to preach. Mark 1.15. I like this because the first thing that Jesus says in his gospel of Mark, he says, repent and believe in me in the gospel. Repent. What's repentance mean? Some of you say, well, just uh, forgiving your sins. That's part of it. But repentance means a 180 degree turn from where you were before. What you're doing last week, last month, years ago, turning away from that lifestyle. Okay, turning away from your sin, your evil. It may mean that you have to go somewhere, move away from some of these friends you're hanging with. You don't want to be running those people to bars or whatever, partying with them. You may have to move, turn away. So it means, first of all, stop doing what you're doing Turn away from your past lifestyle and beg the Lord God and Jesus Christ to take your sins, forgive your sins. And repentance, for all of us as believers, is an every, everyday thing, for we sin every day. So, a message of repentance by Isaiah and a message of repentance by Jesus Christ. So, they both line up. The, one of the first things that Isaiah records and one of the first things Jesus does. Okay. Also, before Jesus came, just years before, John the, pa John the Baptist, he came, he was the last of the prophets. He prophesied about the Messiah coming, and he said, repent, for the Messiah is coming. Repent, turn away from your sins. John the Baptist was kind of like a farmer, breaking the hard soil of sin, breaking the hard soil and telling us to repent and believe in the coming Messiah. Okay? Something else about God that Isaiah preached, and so true today. He preached that he was a God of mercy, grace, and compassion. So mercy is not getting judged by what you used to do. So God overlooks those foolish things, those evil things you did, he gives you a second chance, maybe a third chance, maybe a fourth and fifth chance. So mercy is, we don't deserve what we got, but he, he saves us. Okay? Grace is something he gives us. And grace is an everyday thing. If you open your eyes, we're all given the gift of life, aren't we? We're given the ability to see, feel, touch, 
do all these things, our minds are incredible. We can figure out things. And God gives us grace. He will bring people into our lives. He'll save us from accidents that could have happened we just missed. And we'll say, oh, I was lucky. Uh, I, I would say you're blessed. Blessed by God. That God gave you a second chance. And grace means it's something you can't earn and you can't do your way. So grace is a free gift. So our salvation, when God calls us, it's a free gift. Not by works, so that none of us may boast. So, going down here again, he said he's called a suffering Savior. A suffering Savior. And that goes up to, to chapter 53. We may not have time for that right now. So I want to touch on these things first, and we can always go through that next week. And the key word for the Jews at that time was to trust and obey God. And there's a beautiful hymn about that called Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. To be happy with Jesus is to trust and obey. So we are called to obey his commandments. And we certainly can't obey them perfectly, so that's why we need the Savior. But he expects a life of obedience to trust and obey him first. So I thought about this moment. If I'm a really, really good detective, I want to know, who was Isaiah? And if this was written 2,700 years ago, how do I know that really happened? So I looked in the book of Isaiah, and I don't know if you've heard of this before. It was new to me a few years ago. But there was an Israeli shepherd. Actually, it was a Bedouin. A Bedouin is a, I believe, it's a Lebanese shepherd that was tending his sheep in Israel near the Dead Seas. Well, just like in Texas, here in Texas, we get these violent storms that come in, sometimes just in a snap, snap of your fingers. Black sky, all of a sudden, boom, 60 mile an hour winds. Well, this shepherd was hit by a very violent windstorm, thunderstorm, which does occur off the Dead Sea. It's right next to the Dead Sea. The water comes up. 1948. So that's only 70 years ago. The story gets even more amazing. He goes into this cave and actually he throws some rocks in the cave to see if his sheep is in there. He's missing a sheep or a goat. I believe it's a sheep. And he thought maybe the sheep is in there. He throws a rock in there. Here's kind of a clunk. Sure is. He goes in he looks around the dark. He feels there's a little bit of light coming in. He's found over a dozen pots, clay pots, about two and a half, three feet high. Inside the pots are these leather wrapped up scrolls, they're called. They're called scrolls. Now think about this. Paper really wasn't invented until the Egyptians invented it back about. 1600 BC. So paper wasn't around, but there was parchment written on leather. Well, I'll cut the chase right now because the story is too incredible to believe. I had to read it three times. He took the scrolls to kind of like a pawn shop. And the pawn shop said, well, you know, I don't understand the language. It looks like it's written in Hebrew, which is a Jewish language. 
So he steered him over to someone else, and they sat in his house for a while, brought him in half a year later, and this dealer that dealt in what's called antiquities or antiques, he looked at the scrolls, he said, I'm not sure, but I, I believe these to be before Jesus was born, but I can't tell. So he brought it up to Israel, the Israeli Anthropology Archaeological Association. They went back to the caves. The long and short of it is, all of these scrolls were found in many, many caves. There are up to, I believe, 10 caves with scrolls and bits of scrolls, and also copper pounded out with the message in copper. Well, the book of Isaiah was the first book found by that shepherd in that cave and that book of Isaiah was dated to 300 years before Jesus Christ. 300 years. See, archaeologists, they're detectives too. They're trying to match all these things up. So they just didn't look at the, the book of Isaiah and the leather it was written on. They also compared it to known Bibles that were a thousand years later, okay? Compared those Bibles, here's the other key evidence. They were exactly the same except for about one one hundredth percent, which they attributed to misspellings and mispunctuation. So these scrolls of Isaiah with exactly chapter 9, the people who walk in darkness, were authenticated to be 300 years before Jesus. They also did dating. They're also able to look at the language used and the words used, and they can tell that those words were used at that time because language does change. There's slang, there's words that we listen to back from the 60s, example, back in the 60s, people would say, if something was really cool, they'd say, hey, far out. But people today, if you say far out, they're going to go, what the heck are you saying? That's only 50 years later. The language changes. So these books, these books of Isaiah, and actually every single book in the Old Testament was found and documented and proven, and the detectives came up with the conclusion that these are the Word of God, and that they are correct, and that they do point to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. You can see these documents. I will never go to Washington, D.C., just in terms of traffic. They are there in Washington, D.C., in the Bible Institute. So, I think with that evidence, we know that Isaiah is correct. The Bible is the Word of God. We know that the words are true, especially the New Testament. The New Testament, we have over 3,000 copies of the New Testament going back to 150 or 100 years after Jesus. First-hand accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that were written down that have been found, restored, and compare without any mistakes. 
So going back again to John 8.12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. What a great promise. So how many of you have been kind of wandering out there? I mean, you're kind of looking for something and you're going to say, oh, you know what? I got a drinking problem, got a drug problem, but you know what? Not that big a deal. I think I can discipline myself and think positive and work my way out of it. Now, I know from personal experience, when you've got a bad habit, you've got to surrender it to God. And as a believer, I know now that the Lord Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to change your heart and change your affections. And that's what Jesus is talking about right here. He says, he says, they will not walk in darkness, but the light of life. The light of life is eternal. It's forever. It's not a daily happiness. It goes on forever. So let's go on to one other passage that I want you to see that proves without a doubt that Jesus is Messiah. Well, let's go to Matthew 2.10, okay, Matthew 2.10. Hang on a second here. Matthew 2.10, first of the Gospels, Matthew was a tax collector. And he's going to talk about the Savior here. For he says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When they saw the star, and the star was the star that the Magi or the holy people would see when they came to find and look for the baby, baby Jesus. Go back to Luke, okay? Luke chapter 2. Let's read this because we know right now. Okay. It says, think about this now. Now, in those days, an order went out from Caesar that a census be taken of all of the earth. This is the first census. So we know this is documented because we know the Romans every year would go to collect taxes and then take a census to see how many citizens there were. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on their way to register. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, and then to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now think about that. What did Isaiah talk about in chapter 9? He should be from the, the throne of David. The throne of David. Well, when I see this right now, he went up from Galilee, from Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was a house and family of David. For we see right here, Jesus was in the line of David. David was a great warrior, a great warrior king, 
But Jesus, think about this. He was born in the smallest little village outside Jerusalem. It wasn't a fancy village. And he was born amidst the shepherds. Now, what we don't always understand, the shepherds were considered to be the lowest class people. They kind of smelled, they carried their sheep, carried their goats. And so they weren't considered to be like a craftsman or some kind of farmer. They were considered to be kind of the lowest life. So, so God's going to send and, and Jesus is going to be born in that small town. In order, so they had to register with Mary and the days were completed for birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a man manger because there was no room at the inn. Think about this. No room at the inn. How many of you have been out there traveling maybe on the road? You're trying to find a place to stay for the night. In my case, I'm driving until 10 o'clock. I'm not going to spend a lot of money. I'm not going to find a really nice place. Just something to get by, put my head down. Well, Jesus couldn't even find that. He couldn't even find a manger. He had to go into a, a basically a little farmhouse and sleep in the manger trough where the cattle fed and the, and the sheep fed. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, something else here. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Well, the angel was there. Angels come for special occasions. And also, that star, well, that star, if we go back in the literature to Josephus, who's a, a Jewish historian, that star was also identified by hundreds of other people to signify to come to Jesus. So, folks, what I want you to do is, it's okay to question things, but I want you to look at your Bibles, put your trust and faith in it, for you know that he will deliver, Lord. We thank you for your time. We pray you bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.